0: Welcome back to the Sit and Ponder podcast, where we seek to think more deeply about the scriptures and to ask the tough questions. Take a minute, grab your favorite warm beverage, and get ready to dive in. Let's dive, folks, into our next episode on the disciple distinctive of loving one another. Love longs to show mercy and forgiveness, and is tender-hearted, not hard-hearted. Let's read Matthew 18. Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven times. Therefore the kingdom may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of compassion for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you and in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You see, folks, loving one another means that we operate with a kind of integrity in our mercy and forgiveness. Out of principle, because we have been relieved such a huge debt by God, if we want to love just as Jesus loved, who forgave us, then we must forgive similarly, 70 times 7 times, which is just an exaggerated way of saying there is no limit. The story here illustrates something very deep, and I want you to take note of it. It feels unjust to watch a man get forgiven a huge debt and then to turn around and demand a smaller debt. We know in our heart of hearts that this reeks of hypocrisy. It almost reeks kind of of a form of greed. It's like the forgiveness of the master gave him the ability to get an advantage. He moved from owing more than he was owed to owing nothing. Now he has an opportunity to collect and be ahead. We as humans intuitively understand that when God or others are generous with us, it feels wrong to receive that generosity and then not exercise it with others. We know it's a breach of our integrity. We feel it. We sense it. Our conscience bears witness to it. How Jesus treated us and forgave us is to set the tone and the standard for how we treat and forgive others. Look what Ephesians 4 says about this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now listen here, this is key. Let all... Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. This text echoes what we've already read. We are to resolve conflicts with an attitude of tender-heartedness. Echoing what Jesus said earlier, love one another as I have loved you. Here we are told to forgive one another just as God in Christ forgave us. No negative treatment that you have ever received, guys, is as great as As the negative treatment you've given to God and the debt you owe God. And he has forgiven you if you've received him. Allowing anger to fester day after day, growing into bitterness, is evil of us in our fellowship with one another. It can give the devil an opportunity and it grieves the Holy Spirit, according to what this text says. Notice what we're told to put away. We're told to put away bitterness, slander. Lies, clamor, malice. We're told in this text to replace those things with things like building up, speaking truth, resolving conflict, having a generous and tender heart. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice are the natural outpouring of bitterness. You may think that if you're storing bitterness in your heart that you can stop from doing these things, but you're going to find that if you harbor bitterness in your heart and in your mind, you're giving the opportunity to the devil and these things are going to be natural outpourings and you won't be able to hold them in on some level. So often we justify our bitterness We gather friends around us to bemoan with us how we have been treated. We form a detailed case in our minds of how evil the other person is or how negligent they are. We meditate upon their wrong. We think about it when we lie down, when we drive in the car, when we wake up, when we're on a walk. We dislike the other person, hate them, or even worse, we become totally apathetic toward our brother. We're content to never see them again. We find it hard to stay friends with people who are still close to them. We get involved in church splits. People take sides. Longtime friends cease hanging out. The sad thing is that kids observe all this and question the authenticity of Christianity as they watch this type of division unfold. We see marriages end this way similarly. People allow bitterness and a hard heart to fester over 5, 10, 15 years in their marriage. People avoid addressing conflict and avoid it instead. In my experience, most people are conflict avoiders. Often the offender isn't even aware that they are offending or offending at such a high level. This kind of conflict, hard-heartedness, division, and unforgiveness often shipwrecks people involved, and those observing. Sometimes we are a party to gossip. We willingly listen to it. We don't shut it down and ask the person to deal directly with the alleged offender. We need to stop listening to slander and gossip. We need to put an end to malice in our own lives when we see others acting it out. Don't be a sounding board for people to vent to you about a brother or sister in Christ or about anyone for that matter. These things are a far cry from forgiving our brothers 70 times 7. Jesus showed mercy to us who willingly defy him. Tenderheartedness and a forgiving posture doesn't just mean that we don't retaliate. It also means that we long for reconciliation and actively pursue peace no matter how hard emotionally it might be to attempt such a thing. It says in scripture, if at all possible, as far as it depends upon you, stay at peace with all. Sometimes we can't make peace, but if we have a tender heart and a heart full of love, authentic love, then we will pursue it and we won't avoid it. Look what it says in Matthew 18 and Matthew 5. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and as a tax collector. Matthew 5, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. In Matthew 18, it says, if your brother sins against you. In Matthew 5, it says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and they remember that your brother has something against you. Notice, it doesn't matter whether someone has something against you or you have something against them. You are to initiate the peace and forgiveness, according to these texts. You're the one who's supposed to attempt to make peace. Guys, sin happens. People mess up. You're going to mess up. Other people are going to mess up. We're going to sin against one another. And honestly, we can't always make peace because the other person may not be willing to change and may remain in a pattern of abusive or damaging sin. But if we have a tender heart and a loving heart, we can still forgive and we can still go pursue reconciliation. And it, it says in these texts that we are to initiate that peace and forgiveness, whether we committed the wrong or whether we're aware that they committed a wrong against us. We spoke last time about this. Jesus was an initiator and pursuer. This is part of the nature of being like Jesus. Conflict avoidance is a big-time problem. These texts speak against it. Our love in each of the areas we're going to talk about will involve us acting and initiating, even if the other person doesn't care or is apathetic. We pursue, we try to make peace. We see in Matthew 18 that division is still possible at the end like in a case possibly where a person abuses another person and will not change after repeated levels of confrontation, including witnesses and the gathering of believers getting involved. But we really only part ways after diligent efforts to reconcile and give the person a chance to receive grace and apply teaching. Sometimes, even when we pursue peace with a tender heart, A person's repeated behavior makes it so it is no longer wise to fellowship with them or to participate with them due to their cancerous and damaging behavior to the entire community. Even if this needs to happen, we know from Paul's letters to the Corinthians that we still long for peace to be made, even with this rebellious type of person who's damaging. And we're told if they turn and change that we should welcome them back when they are ready to cease their damaging behavior. Whether we fully reconcile with them or they are fully restored, we can still forgive them, though, folks, in our heart. We can still relieve them of the debt in our heart and then pray and hope for reconciliation and full restoration, which doesn't always happen, even if we have forgiven them. If you notice or become aware that someone else has an issue with you, approach them to guard against bitterness forming. Maybe they're afraid to confront you. Maybe they are immature in conflict resolution and are letting an offense fester. In humility, seek them out with a desire to be at peace. Consider in humility that you may be wrong. Hear them out. Be diligent to preserve the bond of peace and to fight unforgiveness in yourself and in others who may have an issue with you. The desire to forgive and to preserve peace as far as it depends upon you is based upon God's actual heart. Jesus says on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It says in scripture that God desires that none should perish and that all would receive eternal life. Many will perish, but God takes no pleasure in the plight of the wicked, it says in Scripture. Jesus said outside of Jerusalem shortly before his death, Oh, I would have gathered you like a hen gathered its chicks, but you would not. God wanted to reconcile with everyone. He longs to forgive and to show mercies, but people continue to say no. It says in the Ten Commandments text in Exodus 20, I am the Lord your God, and I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love and mercy to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. Check out the contrast. He says that he extends the punishment to the third and fourth generation but mercy to a thousand generations. The contrast is obvious. A thousand is a much huger number than third or fourth. God prefers to give mercy. He doesn't want to extend judgments. But we often do not receive mercy. Sometimes we will pursue peace and reconciliation with a tender heart with another person. And that other person may refuse to forgive the wrong we did to them, or if they were in the wrong, they may refuse to admit their wrong. We can still forgive them, like I said before, whether a restored relationship is possible or not at that current time. Yet we should continue to long for reconciliation because of the love in us that comes from Jesus. God grieves over this brokenness. But love forgives regardless of the outcome. Let's read Luke 15 quick to close. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in to fe- his field to feed pigs, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. This guy's at rock bottom, folks, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, "'How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger?' I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Folks, in my life, I have had several conflicts. In my estimation, some of them were all my fault, some of them were both my fault and another's, and others were, in my opinion, the other person wronging me. Some have resolved completely, and our relationship keeps growing. Some have resolved to a cordial level, but not to a complete restoration, and others never bounce back at all. In each of the ones that aren't healthy, I still grieve that the relationship has brokenness. And long for relief of that brokenness. But I don't long enough. Not as much as God longs for reconciliation. He longed enough to die for that reconciliation. I want God to make me long to see total forgiveness and restoration. Even if it seems impossible in a given situation for it to happen. Look at the heart of Jesus in the story of the prodigal son. The father's son squanders and kind of in a way steals his inheritance away from his living father. And I just love the scene. The father is anxiously waiting on the porch just to see his son. And when he sees him a long way off, he's not got a laundry list of things to chew him out on. He runs toward him. He embraces him. He is anxiously awaiting the arrival of his son. He has a tender heart. He wants restoration. He wants reconciliation. He wants to show compassion. He ran, he embraced him, and he kissed him. This is the heart of God when it comes to forgiveness. Do you hold anger in your heart for a brother or a sister or multiple Have you weathered some community divisions, conflicts, family issues, divorce, or the like, and come out with lingering hatred, unforgiveness, or maybe even worse, callousness toward the other party? Do you enjoy when others also see certain people who hurt you as bad or deserving of negative consequences? Do you slander certain folk, meditate upon all the things about them that are sinister in your mind, Are you actively trying to be truthful and honest with a tender heart to resolve conflicts that linger in your mind and heart, even if they are way in the past or the person or people are no longer even living around you? Do you long for that reconciliation? Would it feel good if peace could be attained and reconciliation could happen, or have you written them off? Sometimes we can't be at total peace with folks. Because truth and righteousness make it so we need to part ways at times. But is your heart tender, compassionate, and generous, anxiously waiting for an opportunity to restore the relationship as much as is possible? This is Tom Wells signing off. Next week, we will continue in our theme of investigating more details about what it means to love one another.